It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, baby, let me take you down to a place of strange sights and sound. You ain't never seen the light before. Just a strong throw from your front door. Well, hello, hello, mercifully from indoors on what promises to be a reasonably wild day, I think. The temperature's low. We're teetering on the brink of rain and we're on the fringes of Soho, looking out of the window of a cycle shop. And I was standing here just a few moments ago waiting to meet the cycling expert who is guesting on this week's episode. And I spotted a lone figure struggling with a Brompton, attempting to fold it up, giving up trying again. That man is Andreas Kambanis. He is the founder of London Cyclists, uh, one of London's most popular cycling blogs. Hello. Hi there, Quinton. How are you doing? I'm, I'm good. There's going to do wonderful things for my credit, that is. Uh, uh, we, we, we have the Brompton here and it looks like you've tamed it. I think I'm about halfway there. I think I'm going to pop to the Brompton shop afterwards and complain that it's too difficult and then they'll probably put it together in about two seconds and I'll look like a right idiot. <laughs> So what, Now, that's like those people on production lines who do the same motion over and over again, and they're just amazing at it. But this is your first venture into Bromptonism. Yeah, so my flatmate, Henri, bought himself a Brompton, treated himself to one. And I was feeling quite lazy today. I didn't want to carry my bike down the stairs. The neighbours have been complaining about the amount of marks on the wall. So I thought, well, I'll just pinch his Brompton, and I won't tell him, uh, and I'll bring it down, because that's how good a flatmate that I am. So it's my first attempt... I spent the first half of my ride in the highest gear wondering why uh, I couldn't pedal, but I'm slowly figuring it out bit by bit. It's all about learning new things, isn't it? 2016, New Year and all that. I just want to reflect on the, uh, the sentence I've just heard. And bear in mind, this is coming from a bearded man as well, listener. The sentence was, my flatmate Henri treated himself to a Brompton. <laughs> I accuse you of being a hipster. That's it. Perhaps, maybe. I think, uh, I mean, he's a bike shop owner, so I suppose he's, uh, he's allowed to have a number of bikes. Uh, of course, I would have a bike shop owner housemate uh, running the cycling blog. Oh, that must work very well. It does, it does. Yeah, he normally sort of helps me out when I get a question from readers that I can't really help with. I'll be like, Henri, 
can you recommend a good road bike and he'll point me in the right direction so it's really helpful because I still pretend to be an expert but in the reality he's the one in the back of the scenes uh, with a real expertise that is a match made in heaven but you've been away I think from your flat for quite some time because you've been on tour that's right yeah I went travelling for a couple of years around Central and South America went all the way down to Antarctica to go see the penguins unfortunately it wasn't bike in tow but it was a wonderful break from London but it's equally wonderful to be back here yeah, so how is that presumably been enjoying wide open roads travelling across the Americas what was it that told you you were back in London <laughs> I think the first time someone cuts you up and uh, your initial reaction is just to get really angry at them and then you realise that there's literally no point in doing that and you should just be very zen relax uh, and realise you know we all need to just kind of get along especially in a busy city like this one you cycle like I drive, I think, with uh, just the idea that a persistent tooting of horns is the bird song to your trip. <laughs> that sounds correct, yeah. <laughs> so we're here at Rafa Cycles, which is a place whose door I would have had no occasion to open, not being a keen cyclist myself. Uh, and the first thing you see, of course, is all the uh, sporty lycra stuff. But tucked around the corner is the most uh, delicious cafe. There are muffins aplenty. This looks like a good place to hang out. This is, yeah. If you want to be a little bit of a hipster, then definitely tell your friend to meet you here and and uh, they'll instantly think that you're ten times cooler than you really are. We're here to talk about, unsurprisingly, cycling, to the relief of Andreas, and uh, specifically the positives of cycling. And the reason for that is that cycling is so often mired in controversy of two very specific types, I would say. Maybe there are more that I haven't thought of, but the most frequent occurrence of cycling in conversation on the radio seems to be as an opposition to car driving, and is tied in with cyclists breaking the rules that aggrieved car drivers are forced to obey and of course the other one is every so often we get terrible news about a a cyclist who has perished on the road all in all that doesn't make for a very welcoming sort of a backdrop to the prospects of cycling and so we're here to talk about the positive sides of it i wonder if there's anything that we could start as as an opening gambit the positives of cycling in london well, you'll probably end up getting there a lot faster and you'll end up saving a lot of money. So those are quite nice. And a little bit of exercise as well without having to go to the gym if you don't particularly like spending too much time in there. Uh, but most people just kind of love the freedom of it. You're not restricted to a timetable. Uh, you don't ever get stuck on the underground. You don't have to kind of battle with the crowds under there, that kind of thing. But yeah, it's interesting what, what brings people to it. Nobody ever mentions the eco aspect, I don't think. I think that's sort of no, that's bottom true. of people's lists. Um, but perhaps that's how we like to show off to others. I'm so eco-friendly, but it's, like, it's a wonderful way to get around London. I'd recommend everyone gives it a try. Well, let's flush that recommendation out there. I'm kind of anti-cycling on a personal level. If other people want to do it, who am I to suggest otherwise? But I want to put to you my objections and see how we can work through them. Uh, maybe they're fallacies, I don't know. But the, the first one that strikes me is the danger level. What's the positive side of that? Yes, I guess... You know, the, the thing that always gets quoted is you're more likely to extend your life than shorten it by cycling uh, due to the sort of exercise benefits. And everybody always talks about the importance of getting your 30 minutes every day. Um, but what I would say to people worried about the safety aspect is there's one thing that completely changed the way I cycled. Um, and I went on a two-hour cycle training course that was recommended to me. And at this point, I'd already been cycling in London for two, three years. So I thought I knew everything about cycling like i thought i was i thought i was the pro um and then i went on this 
two-hour course thinking there's nothing they can teach me here and a couple of hours later I came out a completely transformed cyclist uh, so the way I cycle now is totally different and all those kind of close calls that I was having in those first two three years that made me think god this is dangerous um, just suddenly started going away so that's what I'd say to somebody if they were thinking about cycling in London is a couple of hours on a one-on-one uh, training course you know I don't want you to picture you know those days at school where um, you're wearing a high-vis jacket and you're in a big group of 20 kids this is like a one-on-one session with a real expert who'll really take you through um, some techniques and you'd be surprised some of the small changes uh, how big an impact they'll have on the way that you um, you cycle and the way you're treated especially on the road by the road users. Should we attempt to save a life or two right now definitely so one of the most interesting things is the whole eye contact thing i think perhaps it's something that's hardwired into us as humans Uh, the minute you look over your shoulder to uh, the traffic behind you uh, it immediately sort of establishes a rapport almost with the driver and their attention comes to you as a cyclist so suddenly you're no longer seen as this um you know a horrible person on on lycra um you're no longer seen as this broad group of people these cyclists that everybody um seems to want to take a dislike to suddenly you're seen as just another person sharing the road so that's a really really helpful one and i tend to do that the surprising thing is i tend to do that every sort of 10 to 20 seconds while i'm riding which is you'd think very very frequently um but that really helps me give me an awareness of the traffic behind and also brings their attention to me so if i suddenly need to kind of change direction or anything like that i kind of have a clear idea of what's going on behind me so as you would in your car if you're driving properly you should be checking your mirror at least that often exactly yeah so a lot of people sort of say oh why don't you put a mirror on your bike but obviously then the downside is is that um you know the driver doesn't get that same uh, effect of you looking over your shoulder i suppose for the driver as well they're thinking oh is he about to change direction so yeah every 10 to 20 seconds looking over your shoulder make a massive difference you're letting them know there's a human being on the two wheels in front of them and i know there are some safety commercials going out at the moment that are aiming to do just that humanize cyclists give them a personality and a story for exactly that reason yeah that's right that's a i think that's a really big thing it's interesting how quickly we homogenize a group um and sort of we think all cyclists are terrible uh, obviously do, you, do you think that's what it is do you think it's <laughs> cyclistism as opposed to just that bubble that drivers get into i guess that's the fascinating thing isn't it i mean we don't really call like you know people that fly on airplanes like plane users and, and uh we don't really sort of stereotype like oh well all rail passengers are horrible horrible people but for some reason with cyclists seems to really get people's uh, blood boiling uh, i think it's perhaps our innate human sense of fairness um, and so i guess when you see the occasional cyclists go through a red light you're quick to sort of get angry and think well it's all cyclists and i guess the the trick would be is to try to remember um you know if you see one driver going over the speed limit um you know it's not all drivers that are terrible it's just this one guy that's not the nicest uh, individual to, to to for want of uh, using a swear word there like a normal <laughs> word um, I, I, I have come round in that view because just a few years and we should say by the way if andres's name sounds familiar that's because he was on the show uh, at least four years ago possibly five back in the very early days of the podcast and i must say you look entirely unchanged I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> I've aged horrifically. <laughs> well, I think there's a portrait somewhere that would beg to differ. But I've changed my view very much on this red lights business because you can just chill out about it as a driver, I think. There is 
at its source something in this reaction that we drivers have towards cyclists, which is about, ah, oh, he broke the rules, I'm not happy with that. And you see it in other bits of society as well, uh, all benefit scroungers or whatever it might be. And I think it's really just looking at somebody getting something that you're not getting and disliking them for it. I really think that's the case. And I also think we're very good at dismissing sort of our own bad behaviours. So, for example, you know, I like to try and think of myself as someone that's quite, you know, environmentally conscious or whatever. But I love travelling, so I'll end up taking like six, seven, eight flights a year. So I'm kind of a hypocrite in that sense. So I think we're quite quick to sort of dismiss our own transgressions, perhaps, um, and quicker to point out uh, another group of people and say, oh they're terrible but i'm a wonderful person oh yes i'm belching out diesel fumes like there's no tomorrow which they might not be if i belt out enough of them well yes perhaps yeah i think i think that's where it becomes interesting as well is um you know you'll get a sort of local resident complaining about cyclists riding through uh, regent's park let's say for example i had a reader forward me an article in a hammond high newspaper recently and it was a resident living around uh, regent's park so i'm sure a rather pricey home and um they were complaining about cyclists sort of riding too fast uh, around the park and they were sort of saying, oh, well, they're all breaking the speed limit. They're all going over 30 miles per hour. And now the world record attempt, I think, for the highest speed was around 32 miles per hour with Bradley Wiggins pulled off recently. So I don't know how many people are beating Bradley Wiggins's speed around Regent's Park, but if they are, we should certainly sign them up to the England team. Um, is, but- is that the official park speed limit? I think it is 30 miles per hour around the uh, outskirts of the park. It's interesting that somebody would complain about that, but then the thing that was more likely to kill them than a cyclist is the kind of pollution levels in London. You know, we've, we're kind of record holders as well in the kind of pollution highs that we hear about here. And we always, it's quite an abstract number. They'll sort of say, oh, it's twice the limit. It should be three times the limit you should be. And you're like, oh, well, I seem to be breathing all right, so I'm sure it's fine. Um, but, you know, the reality is those things would probably concern us a lot more than that, uh, you know, one cyclist that you saw once on a pavement uh, a couple of weeks ago. Speaking of cyclists on pavements, on the rare occasions way back when it happened that I would find myself on the road, I very quickly found myself nudged onto the pavement or I found doors being flung open from vehicles in front of me. And they were experiences which have also put me off. And I wonder whether there's something in the advanced course that might have dealt with those issues oh yeah absolutely the whole sort of riding further out from car doors the whole uh the big thing in london especially is the heavy goods vehicles uh, so there's been a hell of a lot of discussion uh around that recently and um yeah the 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 big thing is just as soon as you see a heavy goods vehicle a lorry as we used to call them i don't know why we rebranded them um they you really want to sort of alarm bell should be ringing in your head and you should be you know staying back and overtaking very safely very cautiously um, because that's been the biggest source of uh, deaths for cyclists in London. Something like around 60 to 70%, I believe, of cyclists killed in London, which is crazy when you consider you know, the number of HGVs versus the number of you know, taxis, buses and things like that. So that's a real one to watch out for. And if you want an eye-opener as well, there's uh, videos of those sessions where they get cyclists to climb into the cab of an HGV and find out what it is that they aren't seeing from that position. But what about just the common or garden car? driving along and you don't want to end up in the gutter so you know you feel that you should drive further out but by doing so in these narrow london roads you're going to be blocking the progress of the vehicle behind you how do you negotiate that 
Yeah, that's an interesting one because as soon as you tell people, you know, you should be riding further out, I guess the trick, the only thing I can sort of think of is, um, you know, to justify it in your mind by saying, well, you know, technically I'm keeping them safe as well because they should be dangerously <laughs> overtaking me. If only you can put that to them at the moment. <laughs> yeah, quite, yeah. Um, but I tend to sort of try to, you know, ride in on the, on the left and let them pass when I feel that it's safe for them to do so. So I'm not, you know, obviously not holding up traffic for the, for the fun of it. Um, but yeah, I, I totally get why that can be quite frustrating in someone's mind. What I, what I think you should invest in is a little LED flashing red board that can put a lettered message up to the driver behind you. And at moments like that, you can say, I'm doing this for you. <laughs> That's right, yeah. I'm sure they'd really appreciate it. <laughs> so there are ways around, and one of those advanced courses sounds interesting. I'm guessing you'd go through the police, would you? I think it's through the local council, and it's subsidised by the local council. So whilst it might, I don't know, cost £60 or something if you were doing it on your own, I think through the council you get it for like a pound or two pounds for two hours of one-on-one tuition. So it's incredible value for money, and it's probably the, the single biggest um, bit of advice I'd give any new cyclist in London. Yeah, once you've got your helmet, get your course. So it can be a safer thing than we might realise. Touched on the eco-benefits. Uh, we don't care about the eco-benefits, do we? We're happy to throw our crisp packets out of the window and stamp our fags on the ground and live in a soup of chemicals. No, it's all about the individual benefits. Who, who really cares about the environment, of course. But yeah, it's interesting. I think London's becoming a much better place for cycling. And as much as we love hating on uh, Boris Johnson um, and his wonderful haircut, I think... Um, the the fact is he's done a lot for cyclists in london you know he started off with the cycle super highways and the cycle hire bikes and you know i think everybody loves the cycle hire bikes um, from you know people that i've spoken to and i can't imagine london anymore without them and the cycle super highway so the initial uh, two or three that he built i think everybody was kind of building up quite a big expectation in their mind because they were called super highways and so we expected something quite wonderful unfortunately the the first few kind of didn't really meet people's expectations i'd say so there was a bit of a backlash against him but since what were people expecting yeah i think people were expecting more sort of separated routes i think the big thing for for people is that it feels unsafe to ride so whilst it perhaps isn't that unsafe in the grand scheme of the world the fact that it feels unsafe is enough to put somebody off Um, and what does make people feel safe is when they've got a separated path that has you know perhaps some bollards or something in between you and the driver or sort of a raised section or something like that I think a lot of people wanted that from the super highways a big test for me is you know would I let my grand cycle on this path and quite often the answer was no um, but since then, there's been some quite big improvements. That talk of bollards reminds me that we know that there is no better deterrent to a car breaking the rules than a chunk of concrete. That's right. <laughs> it's about as simple as that, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. I think so. I think the new superhighways are going to be, um, you know, there's the new north-south route coming in, and there's the east-west route coming in. And what they've done is they've taken a lot of that feedback on board from cyclists, from cycling campaign groups, and all sorts of groups um, have sort of given their feedback and now we've got proper separated routes that you'd feel quite comfortable going for a ride with your with your kid or something like that as opposed to previously just being perhaps something more for people that are willing to put up with the dangers so it's definitely i think becoming more accessible to everyone and i actually think that cyclists are going to miss boris when he's gone be interesting to see what the passions of his successor are in that regard i was wondering with your recent experiences overseas and you've really covered some ground uh, lots of different countries 
what sort of lessons have you learned about how a city can work in respect of cycling? Yeah, it's fascinating. You get cities like uh, Columbia, you know, in Colombia, like Medellin and things like that, and they're actually quite forward-looking in the way that they approach uh, cycling. So one of the things that they've done there is they'll have a car-free uh, Sundays, and they'll sort of close off some of the routes into the city, and people will be able to ride their bikes and, and things like that. So that's a really interesting idea. It'd be fascinating to explore it more. And one of the things I'm really passionate about is the the kind of getting more of London pedestrianised. I mean, we're stood here in Soho, uh, tiny, narrow streets that have been around for hundreds of years before cars ever arrived. Um, you know, the average speeds here are still what they were when we were going around on a horse and carriage. So it's, it's to me, pedestrianisation and sort of this kind of close reclaiming our city from traffic is, I think, something that's going to benefit a lot of people. Oxford Circus just down the road. That's one of the big uh, discussions for Boris Johnson as well as the, the next mayor coming in. So the pedestrianization of Oxford Circus, I think, could be a really big win for London. Would that be a- One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Pedestrianisation but including some sort of cycle uh, access. <laughs> I guess it'd be interesting to see how that plays out. Obviously, from my perspective, I'd love to see a, a cycle lane there as well. Well, uh, we, saw, we saw some of those images of a mooted monorail going up one of those streets, didn't we, not so long ago. It struck me that if you could build something of the same sort that could get cyclists from A to B across central London, that might not be a bad idea. No, that'd be pretty wonderful, wouldn't it? Yeah, there's all these fascinating sort of very uh, complex plans around how we can sort of build like a floating path along the Thames and things like that. I, I, I don't think that innovations need to kind of come from there when we've already got the road system in place. We just need to carve out a little bit of space for the cyclists. The interesting thing now is something like a third of the traffic going through, going over the bridges um, in central London is uh, cyclists. So, uh, a third of the traffic? Yeah, through the bridges during rush hour. Uh, in central London. Is that simply because the cars are all stationary? Yes, perhaps that's it. Perhaps that's it. But, uh, and that sort of doesn't take into account, you know, the number of sort of single occupancy cars and things like that. So there's a lot more people cycling now and infrastructure hasn't really kept up with the growth, but I really think we're going to see a boom over the next few years. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating time to be in London and a good time to be a cyclist and I think things are going to improve, but yeah, it's, a, it's, it's interesting. Well, we're going to be back in just a moment. Let's go to a word from our sponsor. 
This week's podcast is sponsored by Audible, and hopping on a bike isn't the only way to get 2016 off to a good start. Audible has thousands of healthy living titles to inspire you, and best of all, you can get one of them completely free. Do dieting better with Professor Tim Spector's The Diet Myth, the real science behind what we eat, a research-based, misconception-busting and fad-shunning approach to healthy weight loss. Or motivate yourself to get out of bed in the morning with Alexandra Hemmingsley's help, Running Like a Girl. is a frank account of a less-than-athletic lady embracing the joys of jogging, and it's not just for girls. If you are a fan of two-wheel travel, you'll relate to Dave Barter's obsessive-compulsive cycling disorder, and I'm following of 30 articles chronicling all things bike-related. So, tick off resolution number one. Head to audible.co.uk forward slash Londonist for a 30-day free trial and one free title. Membership renews automatically at $7.99 a month after your free trial, unless cancelled. You're listening to Londonist Out Loud. I'm N. Quentin Wolf, coming to you from Rafa Cycles and Coffee. They're doing the bean grinding, as you've probably been hearing, and nothing smells better than freshly ground coffee. It's official. Speaking of delicious fumes that you can breathe in, <laughs> um, uh, Andreas Kambanis, we've got an obvious issue here with health when it comes to cycling. Uh, clearly, it's good for you in terms of getting you moving. Is there actually a net benefit if you've essentially got your nose applied to somebody's exhaust pipe? If you, you can't say that on radio. <laughs> if you could take the spirit of my question rather than the way in which I phrased it. Absolutely, yeah. There's, yeah, it's interesting. There's been a lot of um, studies around this. and There's been a lot of um, interesting reports. There was one in the BBC recently as well where they went around um, with the, uh, I think, like the PM meter that measures the amount of pollution in the air that you're breathing in. And they found, of course, inevitably it's, fairly high for cyclists Uh, apparently it's even worse though for car drivers um, stuck behind uh, cars because they a lot of the exhausts come out and then come through the um, I guess the the ventilation system and then the the driver breathes them in so it's actually worse to be a car driver than it is to be a cyclist so that's something to keep in mind in terms of putting context to it the other big thing for cyclists is they tend to be kind of whizzing through traffic and getting to the front of traffic so a lot of time they're out of those uh, fumes and spending less time breathing them in so overall whilst of course it's a concern it'd be wonderful to live in a more uh in a clearer air city i would say it's not enough to put somebody up i still think net net you're gonna get a lot more benefit out of cycling and i mean there's all these studies about kind of the way it improves your mood and that kind of thing and so yeah net net you're, you're going to win by cycling maybe that's why so many people who get stuck in traffic jams are in such a foul mood it's got nothing to do with being delayed Absolutely. They're being slowly poisoned from within their vehicle. (laughs) Yeah, we think about it like that, then it really brings it into context, doesn't it? I wonder whether it isn't time we just went to electric cars as swiftly as possible. What incentives could be put in place? There are incentives, actually, aren't there? Yeah, I think so. So, for example, so this is another quite funny one you always get as a a cyclist. You have to say, well, well, you don't pay road tax. Uh, And you think, well... It actually isn't such a thing as road tax. I think um, I've got a feeling that Churchill abolished it around sort of World War Two. So um, yeah, people should probably kind of update their information around that one. It's, it's a it's a car duty of some sort, isn't it? That's right. It's an emissions um, tax. So based on the amount of emissions that your vehicle is putting out into the world, the amount that you're causing other people some unhappiness, 
uh, you have to pay an equivalent tax. So um, the same as a cyclist doesn't have to pay um, the vehicle excise duty, the emissions charges. Uh, the same a zero emissions vehicle, uh, an electric vehicle doesn't have to pay any charges as well. So it'd be good to put that myth to rest, and we always do our best um, every opportunity to put it to rest. But it's one that keeps uh, rearing its ugly head whenever sort of newspaper columnists need to, to fill their uh, you know the quiet times over Christmas and things like that. Well, let's uh, swerve, of course, for a second and, and deal with that, uh, particularly with your focus on the blog and producing lots of excellent new material. That's also the duty of many a, a journalist, particularly perhaps a London-centric journalist, and it's a bloody easy button to press to set you up in opposition to another road user or to point at the behaviour of cyclists in general. It's a cheap story, is it? How much of that sort of flack do you get? Oh, absolutely. The minute you appear on a uh, TV show or something like that, it's the first thing that people bring up um, is, you know, something around that, oh, don't you all jump red lights? And, you know, I tend to sort of, you know, you, you develop your own sort of responses back to that one. My one is typically, well, you know, have you ever been driving a car and you've gone over the speed limit? And most people would probably kind of guiltily kind of gulp and look the other way at that point because we are, probably most of us are guilty of that at some stage so uh, yeah it's, it's an interesting one we get a lot of flack about it and the, there was an interesting article recently actually where it might have been I'm not sure if it was a Daily Mail journalist but you know I could probably stereotype that it may have been uh, but well, you're, uh, not, you're not picking a, a subgroup of society and pointing a finger at them are you? I would never do such a thing of course because I'm such a wonderful person uh, but um yeah, I think she brought up the same anecdote twice um, in order to sort of stereotype all cyclists. And I think it was that uh, there was a story perhaps of her grandma having some sort of uh, problem with a cyclist or something like that. She brought up the same anecdote and used it as a fresh one for the new column for the year. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's cheap journalism. I can understand it. I mean, you know, you need to sell newspapers and things like that. But it's unfortunate because it does create a kind of us and them culture which is probably never too helpful a thing to put out into wider society i wonder whether this works the same way as it used to then because certainly in terms of selling copies of a newspaper or getting people to take them in the case of the evening standard you can understand what sort of story might do that and you understand the sort of lures that might coax people into taking the paper out of the vendor's hand where it comes to online stuff though isn't there a little bit more of a tendency to try and get a a decent punch-up going on in the comment section (laughs) yeah perhaps that's the that's the modern age uh we actually have some very good uh commenters uh on the blog which i was quite happy about because you hear about so much about you know people getting flamed and attacked in comments and on twitter and things like that that's what that's the wonderful thing about the anonymization of the internet is uh we can sort of hide behind our screens and send all sorts of abuse but we've been quite lucky actually there's been some very very friendly people in the comments some very interesting discussions and it's Actually, probably one of my favourite things to do is to have a quick scan through and see what people are talking about. I have so little knowledge of the cycling world that I'm almost the worst person to know how to get to the hot topics in cycling at the moment. And the most honest, straightforward way of getting to them is to ask you what's going on in cycling at the moment. When you talk about those uh, conversations that you're having that are engaging you, what are they? What are people talking about? Yeah, definitely. So there's a lot of talk at the moment about sort of banning uh, rush hour deliveries. Uh, you know, so some, a lot of, with so many of the accidents being around the lorries, uh, there's some talk of banning them during rush hour. Obviously, the opposition to that would say, well, then they're just going to be more lorries during the rest of the hours of the day. Um, so yeah, I'm not, not too sure where I stand on that one. Another interesting one is uh, in Paris there. 
now doing some trials of, well, beyond trials, uh, they're allowing cyclists to go through red lights through certain central parts of the city. That'd be another interesting one to really get people angry at the covert section. So yeah, those, those are two that are currently quite hot topics. The other big one is really what the next mayor is going to do for London. So last time round, they sort of gathered up a group of 11,000 people that said that they would, you know, be taking it very much in consideration what the cycling policies were of uh, the next mayor. Um, and it's sort of a way of encouraging them to think about that. And the current two, I think, leading candidates are perhaps less cycling friendly than Boris. So it's going to be really interesting to see how this year plays out with the groundwork that he's done and what the next mayor is going to be doing as well. Are you predicting any danger of, uh, if, if, assuming we were to get a mayor of the opposing party in, that they would just undo it on principle? Yeah, there's definitely, it's interesting, it's, it seems to be around cycling, a lot of uh, decisions making is done on anecdotal uh, evidence, but yeah, it'd be, it'd be a terrible shame to start seeing some of the good work reversed, I hope it won't come to that. But well, I, I think I had more in mind that it might get undone, uh, as you see with national government, because it's a, a, perhaps a signature project of the previous lot, and the incoming crew uh, feel the need to disassemble everything that's been put together. Yeah, definitely. I think I don't think we'll see that because, I mean, the cycling lobby is quite strong now, quite well organised, so we're able to get our voices out there. Uh, but yeah, it's fascinating to see some of the people that appear in the opposition. So, for example, in the uh, you know in the route that's being built currently, um, east to uh, west uh, through London, there's a, a <laughs> bit of a lack of sleep there. Um, some one of the main opposition groups was the kind of Canary Wharf group, and they talked about. Uh, they sort of really try to put the brakes on things. So it's fascinating to see who these kind of people are that are working behind the scenes to make our decisions for us in London. Uh, but yeah, the cycling campaign groups remain strong, so I don't think that we'll see a reversal or a complete drop of some of the current plans. It's more a case of will we sort of see a continuation of the good work done so far. Uh, what else do we need to talk about in respect of cycling and lifestyle? One of the things that's jumped out at me probably in the last 10 years but this is through heavy exposure to East London is the uh, the famous Brompton. I'm just going to check in on the Brompton. It, it's been perched between us and it has successfully remained in the folded position so I think something's working here Whether you, I'm, I'm actually going to stop behind after the interview to enjoy you putting it back together again. <laughs> but that seems to have been something that has been a, a local phenomenon in the East End that I've been really conscious of. What about fashion? Uh, maybe in bikes, maybe in other forms in cycling in London. I think um, it's one of the those things that we really like to get the gear to go along with it right as soon as we want as soon as we're like oh i'm a cyclist now so therefore i should definitely own a cycling jacket and a cycling pair of trousers and shoes and everything do people have cycling pairs of trousers oh absolutely i'm wearing a pair of them right now i'm quite ashamed to say it's actually a pair of rafa trousers oh are they really shop that we're in which is quite appropriate so i should really have cast an eye around they're recycling socks listening yeah, 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 quite. You could take it to any extreme you want. Can but. I just, I just want to check, check these. I mean, they're, they're flamboyant. I suppose you see a lot of sock if you're cycling, don't you? you? The hem of your leg is raised. Yeah, your sock game has to be really strong if you're cycling. That's that's one of the biggest tips I give as well to, to new cyclists. One of the most important things, if you're going to join us as a cyclist, you must have a good pair of socks. It's amazing how much money people will spend. I mean, the reality is, is that you just put a pair of shorts on and a T-shirt, maybe not this time of the year, um, and start cycling. So you really don't need all the special gear and things like that. But it can be quite fun as you get more into it. You start sort of thinking, oh, oh where have they put their pocket on this jacket? And, 
oh, well, does it does it cover my bum when I'm riding along because I'm leaning forward on the handlebars and you start to sort of really get into the different aspects um, but yeah that's probably more of a sort of comment on human uh, traits as opposed to cyclists as a group I think runners do it as well um, but yeah it's interesting you really start to get into the gear and Rafa and uh, another interesting brand uh, Volpine's taken off a lot recently and, and you know they've been getting a lot of funding a lot of attention uh, but yeah it's fascinating I'm assuming that as with cars you can guess something about the characteristics of the cyclist by the bike they're cycling on. That's right and coming back to stereotypes it's wonderful to sort of build up these little images in our minds of what the different cyclists are. The interesting thing is is that quite a few times that um, your stereotype will be thrown completely off so I've seen people wearing you know jackets that are worth 500 pounds built specifically for cycling and they're riding on one of the boris bikes so it's not your your sort of stereotype doesn't always hold up to the uh the reality but yeah the the dutch bikes as well are getting quite uh popular in london these are the ones where you ride in a more upright position so you can see more of the road it's kind of a bit more relaxed and they tend to be quite clunky so they tend to last a lot longer need a lot less maintenance these are the ones with the big baskets yeah, the the ones that you'd associate with your Copenhagen and Amsterdam and things like that. Well, I'm, th- I'm thinking more of a district nurse <laughs> yeah, in the 1950s. Could that could be it as well. It's really coming back into fashion. Oh, yeah, OK. So the other thing I wanted to ask, and I guess this ties in with fashion in a, in a loose sort of way, the cameras, uh, they're getting a bit silly, aren't they? I noticed them a few years ago, and they were discrete little things that uh, slotted onto the top of the helmet. Sometimes they were indistinguishable from lights. And uh, now you see cyclists coming along, and they've pretty much got a full film crew with a, a boom operator and a director and a chair. <laughs> yeah, that's a good. That was quite a good image, actually. Uh, but yeah, they have become popular, and I've heard stories of people sending in ten videos every week to the police of sort of various incidents with motorists and things like that. I mean, at its heart, it's a good idea. I can see why people do it. Uh, I wouldn't say it was a necessity by any means, but yeah, it seems to have really become a trend. And I think with the, the there's not. Uh, um, many weeks that go by when I don't get another email off a TV producer wanting to create another show around the conflict on the roads and they want access to helmet camera footage and they're asking us if we've got clips of uh, you know drivers doing naughty things and things like that but and what, what is your response to those requests yeah I'm not myself a helmet camera cyclist uh, but um, yeah I, I sort of point them in the right direction there's some really um, interesting accounts on YouTube and it's quite nice the accounts that I guess provide a bit more of a balance where they'll sort of sometimes show something that a cyclist did that was a little bit silly and sometimes they'll show something that a driver's doing that's a little bit silly because uh, otherwise I think you're just again picking on one of the groups while perhaps ignoring some of the problems by other groups uh, yeah so I'm sure we're going to see a lot more um, very uh, high-end TV shows in the coming 12 months uh, featuring helmet camera footage. Uh, so if you want to become famous, perhaps that's one of the new ways of doing it. Yeah, it sounds a lot like trolling to me. <laughs> yeah, Because like, you've, got, you've got the anonymity of being underneath the video camera itself. And of course, with the cycles not having license plates, you can slink off into the dusk without anybody knowing who it was that was involved there, if you so choose. Whereas the motorist doesn't have that luxury. 
Yes, that's true, I suppose. Yeah, there is a certain anonymity on the bikes. We can make a quick getaway. Perhaps it would be a good uh, getaway vehicle in a bank robbery, a bicycle. Maybe not one of the Dutch bikes, but <laughs> or a Brompton, because it'd take me so long to put it together. Yeah, the police still would be in the bank. still be in jail by the, t- <laughs> by the time I put the thing back together. But the, the Dutch one seems like an eminently sensible choice just for the amount of booty that you could escape. <laughs> yeah. But what I'd really like to see is the four bank robbers escaping in perfect uh, synchronisation and the front one peeling back to make space for the new leader. That's it, and obviously checking over his shoulder every 10 to 20 seconds to make sure that uh, he knows what the oncoming traffic's doing. I'd rather think he would be. (laughs) This is the most wonderfully well-organised bank robbery I've ever heard of. (laughs) Well, that's a a surprising note to finish on. Uh, We're going to leave you, listener, and I'm going to spend the next 25 minutes watching a man struggling and uh, cursing the bike that he arrived on. Where can people find out more about the world of cycling? Yes, certainly. So the website is londoncyclist.co.uk or you can find it on Twitter um, at London Cyclist or Facebook and all the other wonderful forms of social media out there. Well, thanks so much for both being with us today and introducing us to uh, the joy that is Rafa. Thank you so much. And that's all for this week. My thanks for this week to Andreas Kambanis. Thanks to, to Bernie Barkley and Rafa. Our theme and incidental music was by Songs from the Howling Sea. I'm in Quentin Wolfe. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.